0: Priscilla Lelise gesperson is an author and freelance journalist. While today's guest has always considered writing to be her outlet, it was only after moving to Paris, France that she finally found the inspiration to get her first novel together. A second book came soon after and she also hit her stride as a freelance journalist writing for the Washington Post and other outlets. That all came crashing to a halt in 2014 when Priscilla was diagnosed with stage 3 breast cancer. Her latest book, From Paris with Love, is a personal and supportive guide for breast cancer survivors. To learn more about today's guest, the creative magic of Paris, and how to get started as a freelance journalist, be sure to listen to today's episode of the Fearless Storyteller podcast. In exchange for your support on Patreon, you'll receive monthly one-on-one sessions with yours truly. I'm a certified Master Life Coach, and I've worked with best-selling authors, award-winning filmmakers, and everything in between. Help fund the show today and get the support you need to take the next step forward on your own unique journey as a storyteller. Again, visit patreon.com forward slash Ethan Frackleton. All right. Enough with that. On to today's show. Priscilla Lelise Gaspasson, welcome to the Fearless Storyteller Podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Hey, it's my pleasure. For people who may not know who you are, what would you like to share about yourself?
1: Sure. I am an American writer. I, um, I lived in France for... 15 years, almost 16 years, and I recently relocated um, to the United States, where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in Alabama, uh, even though I haven't lived there in decades. Um, mm-hmm. That's where <laughs> that's where I'm from. That's where I grew up, and uh, I'm a writer.
0: Yeah, and you're a writer. <laughs> you are a writer, and hence, here you are. Well, I get the sense that like the um, the moving around where you're from, where you've been, and where you're going are kind of central to your story or maybe your lens. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that's just a perception I get that that your personal journey has been important enough for you to write about and, and talk about so um.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. spot on. I mean, that's, that's actually been the case in just thinking about the books I've written. So this book, the new book from Paris with Love mm-hmm. is my third book, but it's true that even in my first book, my second book, um, and now this book, mm-hmm. where I was living and what I was experiencing at the time, uh, really shows through the work. Um Yeah.
0: So what is it? What is it like? First of all, maybe, you know, just to contextualize it all, like, and put it to writing as well. Like, why writing? Why did what attracted you to that, and how did you get started?
1: Writing for me has always been my outlet. I don't really know how it started. I just remember um, being nine years old, about nine years old. I was at church. My grandmother asked me to um, be the secretary of Sunday school.
0: Mm. <laughs> Big job for a nine-year-old.
1: Right? I had to yeah. take notes, or, or as she called them, I had to take the minutes. Mm-hmm. Um And I just really enjoyed that. Sometimes, you know, I added, I embellished, I subtracted and, (laughs) uh, I mean, it was so much fun. And then, um, by the time I got to high school, we were doing writing for English class. And, um, I think it really, um, hit home for me when I was in the 10th grade, I was 15, I think. And, um, My English teacher put, uh, she just had a random magazine and she tore out an advertisement, which was this guy, he was in like this Ferrari and, you know, it was just a really cool looking guy, cool car. Mm. And she hung it up on the board and she made us write like two pages about like, where's this guy going? What is he doing? Mm. And um I just created this whole thing that went more than two pages. And and my teacher loved it. And, uh, I mean, she just continuously praised me. And then Mm -hmm. I just thought, hmm, this writing thing is not so bad. Uh, and then, you know, I ended up becoming the editor of my school newspaper, and I guess the rest is history.
0: <laughs> the rest is history. So just <laughs> just straight from, uh, you know, editor of your high school <laughs>
1: newspaper to uh,
0: to freelance journalist, Washington Post, and, and books, just straight path, right?
1: Yeah, straight <laughs> path, straight path. No, I mean, I had to go to college, you know, had to get those English degrees and um, Mm -hmm. my first jobs were in New York City. I worked as an editor um, for magazines in New York and I had started writing, but it wasn't really serious um, until I moved to Paris. Mm -hmm. And once I got to Paris, I mean, it, it might sound like a cliche, but I assure you it's really not. Paris is just so inspirational Mm -hmm. you know I just found myself able to finally get my first book written and um, I started writing blogging for other um, magazines and writing for papers newspapers in France Mm -hmm. and uh, it just it just really picked up in France it just really picked up a lot
0: how much of it is you know I've spent a little bit of time in Paris and it's very dense and, and so <laughs> with historical, you know, places and also like, you know, people hanging out and, and cafes and, and galleries, but how much of it was getting in and finding that flow was what you left behind?
1: Hmm. Probably a lot because I mean, it is different. In Paris, the scene, as you said, is just so. It's just um, a lot different than the U.S. And just being able to hang out, and you know, even just sitting on a terrace mm-hmm. and having, you know, a, having a drink with friends or alone, and your people watching, and mm-hmm. or you're taking a walk, you know, strolling along along uh, the Seine. Mm-hmm. You you just find inspiration. You don't even have to look for it. I mean, like I found inspiration just leaving my house to go buy bread, for example. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's great.
1: <laughs> because Paris is so beautiful. And you know, I was surrounded by these beautiful buildings, these Hallsmanian buildings, you know, which is, you know, typical Parisian buildings that you see on movies or whatever. Um and you know, you're just surrounded by beautiful things and interesting things and people. Um, mm-hmm. that I think is it's quite easy to compare that to America where there are, you know, tons of good things too, but yeah. it's just a different, it's it's just a different scene.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm I'm thinking of like just like I mentioned, the density of it, like it feels like it's easy to walk past things and and miss out on a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> whereas maybe it feels like you really have to work hard sometimes to find meaningful places here like just density wise like i have to go sure. somewhere i have to commute somewhere to get to see my friends or or you know or go oh, to true. place right like
1: right Yeah. And it, you know, I was living in New York, so I found a lot of similarities and I lived in the city. So, you know, I walk, I was lucky to live close to work. So I walked to work and everything that I needed was in, you know, walking distance in New York. So when I got to Paris, it was kind of the same flow with less people, I'd say.
0: Hmm. is just the less people
1: (laughs) 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 yeah a lot less people and a lot less um, bike uh, carriers or mail carriers to (laughs) watch out for when you're crossing the street
0: yeah Uh, was there anything like about like just the pace of life or the pace of the people around you that was different
1: oh definitely I um, I found that Paris was a lot slower um, than New York. Um, you know, New York is has such um, has this electric energy. I, it's just an electric city, I think. And uh, I just remember being standing on the sidewalk and waiting to cross the street, and you know the lights red, but you're standing there and people are just inching up. You know, mm-hmm. inching up, inching up, it, like they can't stand still. That's yeah. New York, and yeah. Paris. <laughs> Paris is a lot slower. Uh, it's a huge city, but it's just a yeah. It's definitely a just dis- a different pace, a different vibe to it.
0: Yeah, like just the very concept of hanging out somewhere for hours at a time, like every day, <laughs> it feels foreign to to right of life here
1: it does yeah yeah absolutely
0: and i know where is it yeah like you probably Uh, you probably grew up with some sense of like work ethic or working hard right right yeah and and how does a slower pace like jive with or mesh with those kind of values does it bring something up
1: Um, It's great. (laughs) It's wonderful because, you know, um, Americans work so much, so many hours a week. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the typical work week in France, the legal work week is 35 hours a week. Mm. Um, And when I worked in New York, I often worked on Saturdays. It was no problem. Mm -hmm. Um, But in France, you know, family time is sacred. Um, and if you work a nine to five job, you know, your weekends are sacred and no one will infringe upon your weekend. So, um, it's you have a lot more time to to be with your family or to do creative things Mm. uh, in France because uh, it's just, yeah, it's a different mindset when it comes to work and vacation and family Um, so much so that, you know, in France, your vacation is six weeks, um, six weeks a year, Mm -hmm. whereas, uh, you know, a typical job in America is like a couple of weeks. You know, if you're lucky, you get two weeks vacation a year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's serious seniority somewhere corporate to have six weeks. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and they're probably trying to manage you out at that point.
1: So exactly. You,
0: so you got a job in Paris and, and obviously you were working. And and so how did, how did creativity or like actually getting things done as a writer where did you start to piece together a routine or, or something? Sure. Yeah.
1: Well, when I wrote my first book, I, um, I started it before I had children. Mm. So it was, uh, I had a lot of time on my hands. And um, then afterwards for my second book, which was published in 2011, um, by that time I had to, I had two kids, Mm -hmm. but, um, again, I mean, my, my career there was, you know, nine to nine to five. So, um, and it just wasn't a strenuous job. I worked as a communications specialist and it wasn't, it just wasn't strenuous. It wasn't Mm -hmm. hard. It wasn't difficult. Um, so I was able to, I mean, my kids were in school. So I was able to go to work, come home, do my mom thing, and then, mm-hmm. um, and then write, and of course, um, write on the weekends. So it was, it was, it was simple. Yeah, it, I mean, it was fairly simple. I would say that the second, the second book, was easier than the first. Um, mm. The third book, um, which I wrote here in the United States was the most difficult of of the books I've written. Um, and that's due to not only because, you know, we're going through COVID mm-hmm. um, and I have work and I have my kids are in virtual school, I have telework. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so finding time was a lot more, um, to finish this book was a lot more difficult, but also it was more difficult to write it because of the subject matter. Mm-hmm. So, uh it was challenging. I think it would have been easier if I had been in France because mm. France is um France is just I don't know, it's a practical place as well. Uh, and I think it would have been easier to write it there.
0: But what do you, what do you mean by a practical place?
1: Um France, I like to say that their French people are very practical and they're very logical. Mm-hmm. So, um For example, they're going through COVID, but the Mm -hmm. schools are not um, closed down Mm
2: -hmm.
1: because they, you know, research shows that, you know, kids don't, um, they don't get COVID as easy as adults. And so anyway, the research and science showed that it was better to have the kids in school Mm -hmm. and parents have to work. So kids and friends are in school. Um, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> so parents are not doing the, the, you know, telework and virtual Tech teacher, and take yeah. support. Thank you. Yes. You yes, know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's why I think it, it could have been easier to write it in France. I would have had even more time and support, um, from the quote unquote system, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And also France is, you know, if you're. If you're suffering, or if you're you're ill, or anything like that, it's easier to take off work yeah. um, than it is here in the U.S. Mm-hmm.
2: Well,
0: so let's let's talk about writing a book in COVID about a difficult subject. You know, what well, I guess one is why why do it, and two is how do you how do you how did you find a groove or did you find a groove in doing it
1: yeah i i started this book um wow when did i start this book exactly well i'll tell you what i did i um i started taking notes for the book in 2014 Mm -hmm. when i was diagnosed with breast cancer Mm -hmm. and i um you know, I started my treatment. So I knew that I was going to write a book about it. I didn't know what the book would look like, but I knew I'd write about it. So I was taking notes all alone, but I didn't seriously start writing it until last year. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was having a lot of difficulty writing it because of, you know, it was very hard to revisit the subject Mm -hmm. I found. Mm -hmm. And, um, But I honestly, I got tired of um, not having the book available to give to other breast cancer survivors. Mm. So I kept every time I'd have a conversation with someone, I would say, oh, my God, I wish I'd finished that book. I have to finish it. So um, last year I decided, okay, let's get this done. And then when COVID hit, which is about. You know, a couple of months before I said, a uh, couple of months after I said, okay, I have to get this book done. Mm-hmm. Um, it just made it more urgent um, mm-hmm. somehow. And um, I just said, I have to do it. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know if this is end times or what, but I have to get this book <laughs> finished.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I imagine if you, well, you know, speaking for myself, losing momentum. And, you know, with everything going on would probably be detrimental to ever finishing the project.
1: <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, it was yeah. quite the opposite. It was like, oh, OK, I got to get this done. Like, yeah, this has to be done. I don't know what's going to happen. Um And so, yeah, I was able to gain momentum. Hmm. And, you know, I was being encouraged because I kept getting messages from people who knew about my own struggle because I was very vocal about it. And I shared it um, on social media when I was actually going through breast cancer. So often people will send me messages to say, you know, tell me their stories and ask for advice. Hmm. Um, So now I have a book to give them that has everything I would want to tell them in it. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not, likely to ever have breast cancer but i did read the book and you know i i found just on the reader side experiencing it it was very helpful you know just to to visualize you know well what if i were going through cancer or my spouse Mm -hmm. going through cancer right like Mm -hmm. not a lot of not a lot of you know stories or resources really get into you know what does this mean and what is it actually like Right. That, that's
1: right. And yes. I
0: think fear of the unknown is probably the biggest thing that, you know, we struggle with, right? As human yes. beings. Yeah.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Yeah. And you do you get, you know, you get all personal and vulnerable about, you know, how it was impacting yourself and relationships as well. What is that like? You know, just speaking as a writer to writer like you know like what do you do when you're hesitating like do you, do you worry about what you're saying is going to offend somebody upset somebody you know or feel left out like
1: sure yeah i yeah. mean that that that's that's always a, a tough it's a tough call that one because mm-hmm. on the one hand you want to you know, you want to share that truth, but on the other hand, you don't want to sin anybody or call yeah. them out. So, um, yeah, I I did struggle with certain aspects of of that um, in the book. Um, mm-hmm. The the chapter where I talk about um, uh, I think the is chapter six. Not everyone can take this journey with you. Yeah, um, and that I thought it was just a crucial, a crucial element to put in the book yeah. because not only from my own experience, but from people I met through, um, survivor groups. I mean, I, um, I mean, I lost, you know, I, I was close to a cousin, as I mentioned in the book and, mm-hmm. you know, she didn't come through for me, but mm-hmm. that was so minor compared to other stories where, I heard, you know, survivors saying that their their spouses left them, their yeah. partners, they left them because they couldn't deal with the cancer. Or yeah. um, I remember I met a, a survivor, her parents um, put her out of the home because they didn't want to see her go through it. They They were not supportive at all. They just didn't want to have anything to do with her anymore. Yeah. And uh, it was mind blowing to me. It mm. was really mind blowing, and I thought I have to put this chapter in the book, yeah. um, so that people know. Hey, you know, once you say you have cancer, don't expect everyone to jump on your support team because it's just unfortunately it's not going to happen. Yeah. So the risk was uh, the risk was worth it. Uh, for me to to tell that part of my story mm. um, because I think the reward for people who are reading it is a lot more important. Yeah.
2: Mm.
0: The reward for the readers was worth it. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, even for me, once I said, oh, I have breast cancer, you know, you kind of think that somewhere in your mind that the world around you is going to stop. Um, and people in your circle are going to be there for you, you mm-hmm. know, but it's not, it's not the case. Not everybody, not everyone can take this journey with you. <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, it doesn't, yeah, I read a lot, obviously, we, we tend to do that and watch a lot of movies over the years, documentaries or narrative fiction. And, you know, I, I don't think that's a, a truth. <laughs> that really surfaces too often as a key part of a narrative, right? Maybe it's kind yes. of left out. Like, what right. what really happens when when pain is on the table?
1: Mm-hmm. That's a great way to put it. It's so true. You never know how people are going to react. I mean, you can you expect them to react a certain way. Yeah, Um, and you hope for them to act in a certain way, but you you never know uh, until, like you said, pain is on the table,
2: yeah,
1: and then you really find out.
0: Yeah, and I, I think it's useful, right? That's the power we have as authors to be able to (laughs) to teach something. Yes. (laughs) How, How how. How things are <laughs> at least yes. can be, and yes. I'm sure there I'm sure there were gifts too, right? There probably relationships that became closer or you know,
1: absolutely, absolutely because of
0: that.
2: Yeah.
1: Yes, absolutely. You you find a lot of great surprises as well, and I had I mean I was really fortunate. I had people from all over the world reaching out to me because my friends are are spread out. So, you know, I had letters, like real letters, handwritten letters and cards coming from Hong Kong and Russia mm. and France, of course, and the UK and I mean just everywhere. And it really meant a lot to me. Mm. So yeah, that that support is crucial. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I'm I'm guessing, like, the, so the, you've got these big experiences, right? Like, you know, surviving an illness like cancer um, and and really wholesale changing cultures for 15 years.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, like, those are deep personal transformations. So how does that change you as a writer or
2: a storyteller? It's wonderful. Writer? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it, it's wonderful because... Um... You know, I've had the opportunity to to live in a different culture, and I like to say that I'm a little bit French now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, all of those experiences and the people that I met there, you know, as well as the experiences that I had growing up in the South and Mm -hmm. my experiences in New York, I mean, all of these things have shaped me into the person that I am. So I feel like I'm, you know, as a storyteller, I have all of this influence now. I have a mm-hmm. bigger world worldview um, than perhaps, you know, someone who hasn't traveled or hasn't, you know, decided not to move away or meet new people or, you know, whatever. Um, but, you know, not staying in the same spot and being able to see different things and meet different people it's definitely enriched me as a storyteller yeah it's enriched me as a person which is you know which has thereby enriched me as a storyteller
0: yeah and so you mentioned an interesting word there influence mm -hmm. like i said i have so much influence Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and that that almost like that word implies some things like (laughs) right what does that imply for you when you is
1: um there, yeah oh go ahead
0: i was just you know i, I get the sense of most of like there's like uh you know rec, there's like power or a mission right like like
1: some, some um sometimes yeah sometimes i mean and i'm just thinking about you know my work and it. i mean it does ring true especially for um You know, some of the articles that, in addition to the books I've written, but some of the articles that I've written, especially for the Washington Post, Mm -hmm. you know, a part of my writing is telling the story. But sometimes it's to influence people as well. Um, I wrote an article not too long ago about the travel ban and how it's devastating um, to couples and families who are separated because uh, you know, of COVID and the the borders are shut down. Yeah. And um I put these compelling stories forward where, you know, these people were just at their wit's end. I had one lady that I interviewed, um, and she just had a baby. And mm-hmm. um luckily her spouse was able to come at the very last minute, but but You know, these stories are not really in the spotlight a lot. I don't know if people know that there are so many thousands and thousands of people suffering who haven't seen their partners and families in over a year now because of the travel ban. And so when I wrote this article, it ended up getting um, tweeted and retweeted and retweeted. I mean, it it just kept going. Like, it took a life of its own. And I'd like to think that it helped, um, if nothing else, it put the spotlight on what people are going through, you know, and hopefully it, um, hopefully it added to the influx of voices asking, you know, these different representatives to try to find a solution, even if it was just a temporary waiver, special visa for these people to be able to come together.
2: yeah
0: yeah is that the one was that love is not tourism
1: love is not tourism That's yes a
0: great title i haven't had a chance to read it but i got yeah pretty clear sense there yeah so yes. this, this the spotlight that you mentioned like it's a really powerful tool if you're if you're able to shine a spotlight somewhere and have that published with mm-hmm. a of, with a lot of circulation um sure is, is like why, you know, it's almost a leading question because maybe it's not the reason, but like, so w- why do freelance writing for the Washington Post? What do you get out of it?
1: Well, I I started working as a freelance writer for them in 2013. Mm-hmm. And I started because I was, I was in Paris and I was blogging a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to write something on a bigger scale. And I was coming across all of these subjects that I just thought were fascinating and would be fascinating to Americans. Yeah. So um, when I pitched the idea to um, the, the one of the Washington Post editors, um, they thought it was a great idea. And that's how it all started. But it was an article about um, Anthony Weiner. Mm-hmm. Anthony Weiner, if you remember, you know, American politician who was going through uh, his sexting scandal and, yeah. and you know, so it eventually cost costed him his political career. Right. And um, France is so different. And <laughs> France is so different, you know. For them, whatever you're doing when you're not you know, at the Capitol or you know wherever White House or wherever you work, that's yeah. your own private business. Yeah. So the the subject of the article was that Anthony Weiner could be elected in France. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, <laughs>
1: France would France would just wouldn't care about that. Like that would not be a story. That just would not a, a story. Um, When you have two consenting adults, that just wouldn't be news in France. Yeah. So, again, it goes back to that, you know, the exposure that I had, you know, being able to live in France and experience a different culture. You know, it's very interesting to contrast and compare life there versus the U.S. or somewhere else. Yeah. Um, And so I pitched that story. And uh, that was the first story that I wrote for the Washington Post back in 2013. Mm-hmm. And um, I was happy to, I mean, I've always loved the Washington Post. And uh, I was happy to to have this collaboration with them. And like you said, they do have a huge circulation. So, you know, I, I'll definitely say it was a chance for me to get my work out there to a broader audience. Yeah now
0: from a you know writer perspective here so you've got you've got this idea right Mm -hmm. you've got this angle on it and it's clear to you because you you've got a foot in each culture um so like how do you decide what your take is on it is is it purely just to educate and be thought-provoking or did you have like some subtext to it that you wanted to explore too that was more personal
1: For that particular piece, it was more, um, probably more of an educational piece, I guess, just a a cultural piece Mm -hmm. demonstrating how the two cultures don't match up um, Mm -hmm. when it comes to that. Um, I definitely wasn't taking, um, you know, a pro-wiener stance. If I can say that. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I,
0: pretty, I can laugh. It's my podcast. <laughs>
1: that sounds weird.
0: <laughs> I would totally okay. use that in my books. just so you know.
1: So, thank you. <laughs> oh, my. So, yeah, I wasn't taking a stance one way or the other. It was just, I just found it so interesting how, how you know certain subjects are viewed differently there versus versus here Mm -hmm. but you know if it's i was going to say but then again you know another piece that i wrote for the washington post was about harriet tubman um and i was that definitely was a little bit more of hey you shouldn't be doing that um uh, just for context, it Russell Simmons had uh, had a video out, and it was some type of spoof with Harriet Tubman, mm-hmm. and you know those, the you know slavery and things like that. Um, and, you know, making fun of slavery and Harriet Tubman, it was just like a no-no. It was yeah. just like, no, we are not going to do this. This is not funny. So, you know, it depends on the piece, I suppose, what what my underlying intentions could be. You know, sometimes it has to be, you know, just totally journalistic uh, with no, you know, bias or whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes when I write things for, a financial newspaper or something like that it's just the facts but you know sometimes i do have a chance to um give my own sort of opinion about it
0: yeah well in this day and age right so you know you got work that spans almost a decade say just with the washington post right like how much like are there clear is it like still like kind of siloed in terms of the different categories of writing that you do just freelance for that? Or is it kind of like gotten a little more, um, I guess, organic and a little more fluid in terms of what the rules are of what you can and can't include in specific pieces or mix together?
1: Um, I guess it depends on which section you're writing for. Yeah. When I first started, I was writing for a a particular section that doesn't exist anymore. Okay. Um, But it was all of the articles, excuse me, all of the articles were based on women's uh, from a a female perspective. So women's Mm -hmm. viewpoints was coming from that. So that was a little bit different. But since then, um, I've been writing for different section so it just uh, yeah it just depends on the section and what the assignment is really Mm -hmm. it's a little bit hard to say yeah
0: okay and are you pitching for your assignment or do you like are there like calls for pitches or both
1: both both Mm -hmm. actually yes Okay. And I always love it when they, you know, they call me and ask me to write something. I I don't know why, but I find it easier if they say, "Hey, can you write about this?" I don't know. For some reason, it just seems easier. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and then, but you know, and then I pitch to them as well.
0: Yeah, and like if somebody say we're interested in in say writing freelance articles for newspapers and magazines, like. Like taking this as a specific example, like like how would you get started? How would you tap into that? Would you blind sure. would you blind pitch or would you contact somebody and ask what they're looking for? Or how would that work?
1: Yes, I mean, for the Washington Post that have a talent network mm-hmm. um, for new people, you can go to the talent network, you can sign up, you put your sort of put your resume there and you can pitch to any of the editors there. Hmm. Um, for me, if I'm going to pitch to a different, um, outlet, then I would, what I usually do is I go and I look and see if they're, um, if they're taking submissions, if they're taking queries, you know, Hmm. they're asking for pieces. And if I don't see any of that information, you know, I'll write up, Uh, I'll write up a pitch and send it to uh, the editor or whoever is listed listed there for for that. And Mm -hmm. I'll just write up the pitch and, you know, you want to put in, um, you don't want to put, of course, the full piece that you're planning to write. But you do want to give them enough details as to let them know, you know, what the subject is and, you know, where you're going with it. And then you also want to put your writing experience, even if you don't put, you know, you don't have to put your whole resume. I don't put my whole resume, but I might put, you know, just the basics, like at least a paragraph, Mm -hmm. you know, and let them know who you are. And that helps them establish, you know, why they should accept your pitch and, you Mm -hmm. know, that you're qualified to, to write.
0: So kind of a credibility. Is it just writing experiences or is it also some identity piece to that depending?
1: Um, I guess it I guess it, it depends. Yeah, I guess it depends. Um yeah, I, I think it would depend on the outlet.
0: Mm. So how did you like like just getting started with that, like like how did you learn to write a pitch or you know, or and has I your process have, evolved over time?
1: Sure. I, I wasn't too good. Um, I wasn't too good in the beginning. I didn't like doing it at all. The same yeah. reason I don't like writing, uh, you know, the queries for books. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow, that's just painful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I have a really good friend. Um, her name is Carolyn Munsell. She's American. Um, she used to live in Paris, and she had um, a communications business. And she's she's really excellent at what she does. And she actually served as my PR manager for my first book, and mm. she taught me how to do it. <laughs> she taught me how to do it, and um, that's cool. So, I mean, if you're having, if people are having trouble with that, you can. There are classes. There are great editors out there great writers who specialize in that and I mean it's something you can definitely learn relatively easy
0: it's not not a born talent
1: <laughs> um it, I mean it could be for me I just found it painful I was yeah. like uh you know it's enough just,
0: for a lot of people to to not even try right
1: it is especially when you have like a big outlet I mean you know yeah. It can be intimidating. It can yeah. be really intimidating. Um, when I pitched myself as a writer in Paris, you know, for all of the really popular um, blogs that were going at the time, hmm. I didn't, you know, I wasn't a professional pitcher. I just said, hey, I have these master's degrees in English. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just I just moved from New York. And, uh, you know, and luckily, you know, they gave me a chance. And then once you have one chance, it's easier to, you know, after people see your writing, it's easier to go to different places, but it can be quite intimidating if you're, if you're pitching, um, for the first time, but you know, you can't let that stop you. Absolutely not. Um, so yeah, no, just get out there and get some help writing your pitch if you need to, and then, you know, go for it.
0: When, when should you ask for help? Because I imagine you could do the thing where you just pitch and you don't really get feedback or you get the generic, you know, no, thank you. And you could just keep doing that forever.
1: Right. And decide
0: Um, that you're a failure. Right.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I think I'm pretty sure I'm trying to think I had run across I'm sorry, I can't remember, but there are professionals out there who will, you know, you can send them your pitch and they'll tell you, you know, what's good about it or Mm -hmm. where you need to improve. Mm -hmm. Um, They can definitely tell you where you're lacking. I mean, and that's what Carolyn did um, for me at the time. Uh, She's been published in so many outlets. um, So she knew what she was doing. She doesn't um, do that now. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure there there are definitely people out there like her um, who could help people.
0: Yeah, I know, like, so I used to do music and songwriting and there were profess- professional, like, not-for-profit associations that partly were for advocacy to maintain the rights and the value of the work, but also to educate on the culture, right, and to teach how to do those things is there something mm-hmm. are you aware of anything kind of similar where you're at you know geographically or association wise because where you're published
1: i am not i am not unfortunately no hmm.
0: and that's okay <laughs> you know i'm not aware of anything so yeah but you hmm. never know and so hey i've got this is just top of mind that doesn't necessarily have to do with with you but i'm guessing you have a take on it so you know i hear this a lot that you know from people who are like you know like if i say you ever thought about writing a book and <laughs> most often because I, you
2: know,
0: I guess it's a big cultural thing That you know, a lot of people are like well yeah but i'm not much of a writer right mm-hmm. and like what do you do with that Because I'm guessing none of us are much of writers when we start.
1: Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's tough. Um, I'm just thinking. For some reason, I want to dissect that. I want to say, okay, do you want to... Why do you want to write a book? I mean, Mm. are you writing a book because you want to be a writer or are you writing a book because you have a story to tell that you, yeah, you know, that and you absolutely let's, let's want to assume, get out let's,
0: there? Let's assume that it's, you know, well, I think it would be fun. And, yeah, I've got these things I want to write about or I'd, I'd like to explore because I think it would be cool. You
1: know? mm-hmm.
0: So they've got the stories, but they don't think, you know.
1: They don't think they have the.
0: Ability to execute.
1: Ability to execute it. Well, yeah, I'm sure most people who start out don't. I know I didn't um, Yeah. think I had the ability to write a book because it just seems so daunting, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, it's a huge undertaking, it looks like. It's,
1: it's crazy when you think about it. Yeah. And uh, But, you know, if you have the willpower and the desire to do it, then you have to move past that. So for someone who, you know, people out there who say, okay, I want to write a book. I have a story to tell, but I don't know if I can do it. Mm -hmm. I think you just have to start writing. Mm -hmm. Like don't think about the overall task because Mm -hmm. it's just too much. It's too overwhelming. If you sit down and you start writing, guess what? For me, you're a writer. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you are a writer. You sit down, you start writing your book, You, you know, no matter how difficult it is, you just have to do it and get the words out on the paper. Yeah. Um, the technique and those things, you know, they're not there immediately. Not unless you go to school and get, you know, an MFA, I suppose, um, but you, then you're you get having
0: it, to practice, I guess,
1: but then you've, yeah, exactly. You still have to practice and do it. Right. Yeah. So I think that people, I think the most important thing is to not get caught up in the fear of not being able to do it, of not having the ability. Hmm. If you start and you get the words out, you get the words on paper, you will always have time to perfect the technique and, you know, do the editing, but you, definitely cannot edit a blank page as yeah. we like to say Yeah. so i think you, you you can't get caught up in the inability of writing you just have to write you just have to write and write and write
0: yeah and are you, when you write and write you know just does like a the perfect first draft come out or like you you have a, some process beyond that
1: in my experience, no. <laughs> um, the first book that I wrote, um, I had a really great editor who helped me a lot. You know, scene um, with this with the specific scenes. I believe I'm trying to remember, um, but. I think with the second and third book, they were much easier because I learned some things in the first and, you know, writing the first book. So you do learn as you go along Mm -hmm. and, you know, there are things that a good editor will be able to help you with and explain to you. And then I think we also have, we have insight, you know, if you're a reader, if you are a big reader you know, you'll have some insight as well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think you, you have more insight than you know um, yeah. that translates to your own story.
0: I think that's true. Yeah. You kind of have taste built in just from consuming the type of book you like to read. Right. Assuming that's right. what you're going to right.
1: write. <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, so what's, what's ahead for you? And, and, and I guess, you know, a more philosophical level, like, you know, why are you, con- why continue to write and what would it mean or what does it mean to be successful writing?
1: I thought I would be, you know, after my first book, I thought, okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm successful. I've finally written the book I've wanted to write forever. Mm hmm. But that wasn't the case, you know, because even um, afterwards, I just, I have more stories to tell. So Mm -hmm. um, uh, this book from Paris with Love has been such a huge thing for me because it was, you know, a part of my healing process, Mm -hmm. but what I hope is going to provide for other breast cancer survivors and their support systems, their friends and their families. It's for me, it's only been out a couple of weeks and the feedback that I've received so far has all already made it a huge success for me Mm. because I wanted it to be a guide for people And I wanted it to encourage and inspire people who are fighting this horrible disease and it's doing it. It's, it's doing it. So I'm really excited about that. So for me, it's a success. It's a success. I've been successful in getting it out there. Even if I don't write another book, um, this message has been so important for me Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's, it's enough for me if I don't write anymore, but I Mm. am planning to write more, Mm -hmm. but, uh, (laughs) but this is, this has been a really important step for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, for people who want to know more about you, how can they do that?
1: You can go to my website, um, which is priscilla.wallis@person.com i know that's really hard to use, to probably spell and i'll
0: put that on the episode <laughs> notes
1: I appreciate that. (laughs) But yeah, just go to my website. You'll see all of my books there. You can find out a little bit about each of them. You can find my other writing links to um, all of my Washington Post pieces and other places I've Mm -hmm. written for, as well as interviews and and things like that.
0: Yeah. And I encourage anybody who's interested in the idea of, you know, writing and pitching to to see the range of, of topics you've covered, actually, with, with the Washington Post. It's definitely, you know, there's some range there to, to provoke thought. Um,
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: <laughs> and, yeah, and so the latest book, again, the title, because maybe that's easier to Google as well.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So the title is From Paris with Love. Yeah. a personal and supportive guide to breast cancer.
0: Yeah, I'm sure people will have an easier time finding that as well. Mm-hmm. Well, Priscilla, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast.
1: Thank you, Ethan. I've had such a good time. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, my pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller. As a reminder, any and all links can be found in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, will you please consider leaving a review? By doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover the Fearless Storyteller podcast.